the Acts of the Saints. This year we are under the theme of God regarding uh, the royal priesthood, understanding the order of Melchizedek, the priestly order that was established before the Levites, where the sacrifice and the covenant was made with bread and wine as far back as Abraham, Shem, Noah. These were all Melchizedekian priests, all right? Um, Abraham then tithed into the Melchizedekian priest, which we believe was Shem at the time, all right, and was from Noah's descendant, okay? Um, this priesthood was before Moses, which means it was before the law. And so Hebrews comes along and tells us that Christ is coming after the order or according to the order of the Melchizedekian priesthood, not the Levite priesthood. In terms of the Levite priesthood, he was the, the sheep, <laughs> the lamb, yeah. right? But under the order of Melchizedek, he's the king, the prophet, and the priest, right? So those are the three offices of the Melchizedekian priesthood, all of those in one person, all right? And that happened all the way until we got to around Moses' day or so. Um, and then things started getting divided up. Then you had a priest uh, group, then you had a kingly group of uh, lineage, and then you had a prophetic lineage. So those three offices were divided amongst the children of Israel um, and their lineages. Uh, that is reconnected into one perfect being, which is Christ, who will return as king, who sits as the, the, the word of God, the prophet, and is as the priest, the high priest of God, all right? Now, when Christ left, he left us with communion. And he told us to do this in remembrance of him. That same communion was the same uh, covenant that was taken with bread and wine from the Melchizedekian priesthood. In essence, telling us that now we are a part of that new royal what? Priesthood. The, the, the interesting thing about this is that as Christians and believers, we don't study what it means to be a priest. We just study the prophetic, how to, how to, how to have a word of knowledge, how to have gifts, hello somebody, how to declare a thing, but we don't really study what it means to be a priest. And so we've, so far we've learned that all of it can be summed up in two parts. We serve God and we serve who? People. We serve God and we serve his people. That is the role of a priest, to serve the father and to assist his people with getting to the father. This means that certain things in your life that could hinder somebody else from seeing God, you shouldn't be doing. Amen. Somebody else from, from knowing God, you shouldn't be doing. Amen. Hello, somebody, because you're here to serve God and to assist people in getting to God. Hello, somebody. That's what royal priests do. Always have, always will, right? So now if we had to break that down as to how does it look every day, how does serving God and serving people look throughout the day, then we will go to the book of Acts because it reveals the acts of the saints, Amen. how the saints did what they did now that they were a part of that new covenant, mm -hmm. that bread and wine, that communion of royal priesthood. Yeah. Good? Everybody's good? Amen. Just a quick summary over the year. All right, we're in month seven. We only got a couple more, more months to go. All right, all right, so that's month seven. All right, so let's get back to the acts of the saints, part seven. The Acts of the Saints, part seven. If I had to give this a subtitle, subtitles are so hard for me. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm really trying to get it done. Um, the Acts of the Saints, part seven, subtitled, 
it's the gift for me. There's a colloquialism, all right, a slang, um, some jargon, an urban dialect, <laughs> all right, <laughs> that says it's the blank for me. And in the blank, you could put whatever you want to put. But what the phrase, the trending word, the hip statement says, you see, by the time I say it, it ain't even hip no more. Okay, that's how, so by the time it get to me, it's, it's played out. But nevertheless, <laughs> you fill in the blank with whatever is the best thing about this good thing that you're noticing. For example, you could see a cute baby, right? Everything about the baby is cute, but you really love the baby's hair. So you'd go, it's the hair for me. See, some of y'all don't even know. Y'all been using this phrase all Willy Wonka, and I've noticed it. And you'd be like, it's the shoes for me. I'm like, but you said you didn't like the shoes. So you don't even know how the phrase go. All right, okay. <laughs> it is to emphasize. <laughs> Am I teaching already? I'm teaching. <laughs> you got, I got to catch you up, or you're not going to understand. All right? trying to put y'all on game, okay? Because some of y'all don't even know, all right? So you use this phrase when you love something, all right? And you especially love this thing about this thing, okay? So it's the hair for me. It's the belt for me. Do you understand? It's the personality for me. It's the color for me. I love everything about it, but this part, too, is, is everything, all right? So our subtitle... <laughs> is it's the, it's the gift for me. And what I have to emphasize here is as American believers, we love blessings. As American believers, we are blessing junkies. Everything we do in Christianity as American believers, unfortunately, centers around blessings. How to get blessings, how to have more blessings, how to have more favor, how to have more checks in the mail, how to have more promotions, how to have a bigger house, a nicer car. Bless me, oh Lord, indeed, bless me. I want to sit on top of the hill, on top of the world, you know. <laughs> bigger and better, I see it coming, I see it happening. Blessings of God overflowing and overtaking your life. We be like, woo, amen. I need more blessings, right? What is blessings in Espanol? La bendiga? Bendiciones? All right, okay, I'm see, see? Watch out. My instructors are back. You don't even know. <clears throat> uh, but nevertheless, <clears throat> uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so we're, we're hungry for blessings. But what if I told you that the blessings in the best part? This is hard for American Christians to fathom because we think that the only reason I got saved was for the blessing. How to have favor in my life. How to keep the enemy at bay. How to make sure things work out for me. You understand. To us, salvation is about blessings. But I tell you this, it's the gift for me. I think as believers, we shortchange the concept of what salvation is because we have such a give me blessing mindset that we miss out on the best thing amongst all the good things is the gift. Somebody say the gift. The gift. It's the gift. There's only one. 
I know, I know. What is this? There's only one gift. And in Christ's ministry, he encountered people that couldn't quite fathom what the gift was. They understood blessings, but they didn't know the gift. And today I want to look at three individuals, all right, who the book of Acts brings three stories together. And we're in Acts chapter 9. Is that right? Eight. Acts chapter 8. And there are three individuals that the books of Acts bring their lives together. If I had to give them some modern characteristics, <laughs> the first would be a spiritualist. He's like that dude that is a believer. He's, he believes in God, but more than anything, he defines himself as a spiritual person. You know, God is the universe. And, you know, there are other ways to God. And I believe in the God, but there are other methods and means and beliefs. And, you know, they summarize it as the universe. And they burn sages. And they understand that there's a spiritual nature to humanity. And that there's a being that oversees that. And that's about as general as they get. And you can call him Christ. Somebody could call him Allah. This is that man that is a spiritualist. All right. We looked at him last week. We'll look at him again today. All right. The third character, if I had to give them modern characteristics, I will say she's a Christian thought. <laughs> now, for those of you that, again, have lost out on the colloquialisms, <laughs> a thought is a promiscuous woman. All right. She's hot in the tail. She's fast. All right. She's... She's all over the place with everybody's man. But she's a believer. And I know you're thinking, how is that so? Don't act. How could this be? Don't, don't act. It is very possible. Unfortunately, we have Christian thoughts. This woman believed in God, loved God, even got into passionate debates regarding God, but still had a life situation that was less than perfect when it came to love and romance. If I had to give this character modern traits. And the third character we're going to look at today, hopefully we'll get to him. He was a member of the LGBTQ community. Successful, influential, and very much so not in the sexual norm. We're going to look at all three of these characters today and understand how they missed and or accepted that one gift. Just one. Out of all the blessings, we'll see some of them gravitated to the blessings and lived their lives when they were constantly seeking for blessings, while others were willing to forfeit all blessings for the one gift. So let's go back to Acts chapter 8. Y'all are looking like this is story time today. Do I have my story time voice on? Y'all like, yes. Yes, let's go. Let's, let's go back. You're like, this is story time. This is great. Acts chapter 8, we looked at him on last week. This is Simon, right? The sorcerer. This was that spiritualist, all right? 
He was an Israelite, but he dabbled in witchcraft because it was effective. There were methods and means that he was able to do that would be powerful and show displays of power. And many people thought he had to be the hand of God and the power of God because so much of what he was doing was working. He didn't ascribe to the ways of God. He figured out ways to get things done from a spiritual perspective into the natural, even if it wasn't the will of God. Now, remember, the Bible teaches very plainly that rebellion is as witchcraft. When we decide to do things, when we decide to do things that are not according to the will of God for our lives, we are operating in rebellion. When those things manifest what it is we desire, it's now witchcraft. What, do you want to do it again? When we as believers operate in rebellion, that means we go after things for our lives that the Father does not want. It's not a part of his will. Okay? When we go after this, that's rebellion. When it actually happens, it's witchcraft. Remember, pharaohs had, they had serpents too. Pharaoh's men had serpents too. They took their rod and they cast it down and they turned into snakes just like Moses's did. So just because the method that you have to attain certain things in your life is working does not mean that that is the will of God. Could you be dabbling in a little bit of witchcraft because of your rebellion? Nobody wants to talk about this, huh? Last week we had a deliverance service. Hello, somebody. And so now we're going to uh, try to explain to you how you even got intertwined with some of these demons. Because you had a desire that was separate than the will of God and then decided to find ways to manifest that. Did y'all just, did y'all, do I need to do it? Because I, I didn't hear the people that should be saying amen. I didn't hear them say amen, which means I'm revving up to hit it again. Do you want, we can do it again. No, 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 no. You do it in DMing people, you know you ain't got no business DMing. You do it in covert operations that you know, in fact, God would not want you to do. The people placing authority over you wouldn't want you to do. You are, but you do it anyway. Hello, somebody. And somehow it gets what you want, doesn't it? The situation worked the way it wanted. It looked like it was going great to a certain extent. What you wanted to avoid, you avoided. What you did, you did. And it just seemed like it's okay. All the meanwhile, you operating in what? Now, what the thing about witchcraft is witchcraft is not just manifest things that are completely against the will of God. It also lures other people to be entangled in the snare. Oh, I'm preaching better y'all acting. Now, come on, y'all know. I'm just using basic English. This is basic. You know these words. Hello, you're familiar with this. You said, Pastor, I didn't entangle anybody else. Really? When you decided to go against the will of God for your life, and then you justified it with all your words and all your degrees and all, and all your explanations, then you then entice somebody else to walk that same flim-flam line that you've been walking on, to think the same way that you've been thinking, to look at life the same way you've been looking at life, to look at how to get what you want, how you got to have balance, how you got to do certain things for yourself, how you got to know yourself, be true to yourself. You entice other people to do the same thing. 
So when the woman of God, by the spirit of God, puts her foot down and says, notice something, you can't tell me what to do. And I say, well, there's the door. Because what you're not going to do is entangle the rest of my sheep in your witchcraft. It's not my fault that you only know how to take care of yourself and not let God take care of you. It's not my fault that you feel like you got to have balance rather than being 100% for God all the time. See, see, all I got to do is flip these same words of wisdom you've been echoing out of your mouth to really what the truth is. Now you realize how far off from the mark of Christianity you really are. Are you afraid you're going to do too much for God? Oh, no. Are you going to sow too much in the kingdom? Oh, no. Are you going to give God too much of your time? Oh, no. Will there be nothing left for you? I thought you died. See, when I really take these so-called words of wisdom, these witchcraft preachings you be using, and turn them to what the, and really hold them in light of the truth, Baby, that's the devil. And all you're doing is spewing out more of this, this Babylonian wisdom to get everybody else drunk off your cup of how this is acceptable and it's not a sin and it's not that wrong and it's not that bad. And you understand how you do. And your only attempt is just to make sure that you don't feel so bad about not doing what God has really called you to do the way he's called you to do it. Because a Christian with, uh, what's that word, integrity, is known. Where other believers can be a little flim-flam, you have a standard that most people cannot relate to. What happened to that? What happened to the standard of how you live your life that other people go, I don't know if it requires all that. That's exactly what they should say because you have a different purpose in your life that is 100% dedicated to the will of God. See how foreign you look now? You thought you looked pretty decent, didn't you? You thought this was reasonable. Hello? So the efforts of witchcraft is not only does it produce things outside of the will of God, but it lays an incantation and a snare to get other people to do the same. So when I tell people to leave, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to tell you what we ain't going to do is allow this thing to go any further. So if I find it on you and you don't want to let it go, then you and that can go. I can preach to one. I will preach to one sold out believer for God. Like that's all I got. Like it's a house full of a thousand. Two could chase 10,000. Hello, somebody. We don't even need this many people to do what we got to do. It's not even necessary. Hello? This church started and ran by one person. Everybody else showed up. I did the sound, the lights, the drumming, the preaching, the word, the, the driving, the commuting, the picking people up, the, the, the dinners, the lunches, all of it. The, the, we had TVs day one. I did the media, the website, one person. And I got some other people that could chip in and help out. And, oh, it was going good. The rest of this is extra. <laughs> the rest is designed to get you to live up to what God has called you to do. Amen. It helps you might be counted amongst the number that is expanding the kingdom of God. Amen. Or you just sitting here taking up air. 
Hello. Sister Gabby came to me the other day. She said, Pastor, I recognize I'm a taker. And I can think about that for a second. And some of us only do enough in order to justify how much we take. That's not, that's not believers. Christ gave all. You only give enough to justify what you take. No heart of generosity. No extra. Let me get back up here because I, I, I don't need to be down there. Let me, give, let me get back up here minding my business. Simon was that guy. Now, as we looked at on last week, he was a spiritualist. He operated in witchcraft. And many of the Israelites believed that he was the power of God. Until Philip showed up. Philip showed up as a deacon, an evangelist that just served people. That's all he did. He just served. Everywhere he went, he served. He was responsible for his church and his local community. And then God impressed it upon his heart to go out and travel. Wherever he went out, he preached the gospel. Simon ran into Philip. Philip preached. All right. Simon was in Samaria. All right. As we discussed on last week, Philip wasn't even supposed to be preaching to Samaritans, but that's where he was. As they became believers and were baptized, John and Peter heard that there's a great revival in Samaria. And we looked at this last week, how Samaria was down bad to all of Israel. I want to look at that a little bit further, because in the case with Simon, as we discussed, he actually believed in Christ stopped his witchcraft ways, got baptized, and then when the apostles came to render the gift of the Holy Spirit to the believers, Simon wanted to pay in order to have the ability to lay hands to give the gift. Now, I just wanted to stop here for a second. We looked at this last week, but I want to look at it a little bit more. This is still in Acts chapter 8. Simon didn't want to pay for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He wanted the ability to give the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how we want the ability to be in ministry, but how we go about getting into ministry doesn't line up with what ministry really is. Y'all don't want to help me today. I'll say, we love for God to use us, and we want God to use us mightily. Hello, somebody. But how we go about that doesn't even line up with the gift itself. You want the ability to give, lay hands, give everybody else the gift of the Holy Ghost. But how you went about receiving the Holy Ghost yourself doesn't even line up with how the gift is used. You want to be a minister, but you don't like to serve. You always trying to figure out what about me? What about me? When's it going to be about me? Hmm, interesting. You want to be a preacher, but you don't want to live holy. Hello, somebody. You want to be a parent, but you don't want to sacrifice. You don't want to grow up. You don't want to mature. Interesting. You want to be a wife, but you don't want to serve. You want to be a husband, but you don't want to lay down your life. Interesting. You desire all of these great gifts from God, but the method that you go about getting them doesn't even reveal that you know what it really is about. For example, you really think getting a mate or a spouse includes opening your legs before you're married? 
That's just self-serving to you. And you think that's the foundation for marriage? You'll think taking somebody to hell with you is the foundation of love. Serving your desires and your wants, no matter what detriment it causes the other person, that this should somehow render you the gift of love. Do you know how many broken hearts I see on a consistent basis? And they have the same pattern over and over and over and over again. Because they do not understand that if you want that type of gift, there's a certain way that you have to live. And it ain't, it, you can't fit. Why does this keep happening to me? Why does it keep happening to me? Because you keep happening. You keep doing it the same way. And when somebody tries to say, this is what you need to do. It's too hard. So you fall back into your old patterns, still expecting a different result. Why do people keep hurting me like this? Because you allow it. Not the hurt, the way you seek after love doesn't fit what real love is. I'm trying to preach this better. Y'all ain't even trying to help me today. You went about this all wrong and you think you're going to get some grand result. You can't try to buy the power of the Holy Ghost in order to give the power of the Holy The Holy Spirit is a gift. How are you going to buy something that is a gift? How you're going about doing this is all wrong. You want to be wealthy, but how you going about being wealthy? All wrong. You want to be a blessing to the kingdom, but how you going about being a blessing, running your mouth, not being faithful, not being consistent? It's all wrong. How you're going about it is completely wrong. You want your kids to be emotionally stable, but you respond out of emotion too often. You want them to be able to control their feelings and think clearly, but you haven't even mastered that yourself, and then you respond to them out of your inabilities. I'm preaching better you acting today. Hello, somebody. You can't even put your feelings down in order to rise up to be the parent. But when they do it, now you want to train them. The gift of an honoring child, has a child that honors you, comes with a way that you're not living. Oh, I'm preaching better y'all after today. You ain't even living in a way that they should honor you, but you want to demand honor. How? It's going to be in their words, but not in their heart. And every time, it show, every time they get an opportunity, it's going to come out. Because children are incapable of holding their emotions. That's why they're children. So even though you make them respect you with words, in their heart there is a seat of bitterness and a lack of respect and honor for who you are as a person because they've watched you. They see you angry and your lack of control. They see you moody and your inability to love them. And so when you tell them, straighten up, stop it, get that together. They're like, you are some kind of hypocrite. Even though I don't even know the word hypocrite. You are ah. <laughs> If you got words, just something about it. Nope. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah. We go about these things in a way that doesn't even fit what we're after. And you're deceived to keep trying it the same way. 
knowing that your parents and the generation before you did the exact same thing and you bore witness it did not work. And here I come with my silly stuff as your pastor. Maybe you shouldn't do it that way. Okay, well, do whatever you want to do. Hello, somebody. Remember, traumatic events happen to us, but their effects do not have to remain. It's hard to recover, but not impossible. That's your cross to bear, that you have to recover from a traumatic event to ensure that your child doesn't have to go through the same thing at your hands. It's not impossible, it's difficult. But you gotta put the work in. If, if, if I got a sickness that can be avoided through how I live, like lifestyle choices, I can't, like for some of you are diabetic, right? If you're diabetic, you can't afford to slip up and have a cheat day like the rest of us. A cheat day causes your numbers to go up. Your numbers going up throughout your cheat days mean your A1C goes up. Your A1C goes up means you are more likely to have other diseases and complications that are associated with diabetes. Now you got neuropathy. Now you got this other kidney problem. Now you got this other problem. Now you got all this other issues. Hello, somebody. So a cheat day is not possible for you in order for you to recover. The fast that we're on that's lasting until the end of this year, I know the people that are diabetic, pre-diabetic, and those who are obese have stricter regulations than the rest of those who are not. And I know from time to time they go, that's messed up. But this is something you should have known on your own yeah. without a fast. Yeah. It's basic info. You know what? I can't afford to eat like that person eats. I can't eat like Kayla eat. Look how thin she is and how young she is. I could look at a milkshake and my butt jiggles for two weeks. She could eat five of them and she'll be fine. We have the propensity and the ability to look at us and go, I cannot afford that. So now you want to call it unfair. It's not unfair. Hello, somebody. Uh-uh. You had it easy. All the years it took you to gain that weight is all the years you had it easy. All the years it took you to get in that position is all the time. That's all, no matter whether it's weight, money, love, whatever. All the years. Now it's payback. Hello, somebody. Now oh, I got to pay for this. Down, 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 down. Less, 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 less. I got to pay for my bad budget. Spend less, 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 less. Over time, over time, over time, over time. Less food, less food. More working out, more working out. Recovery is hard, but it is not impossible. And as African Americans, we don't believe in this. For some reason, we struggle. We struggle. Just because something's hard, we, we're too quick to give up. Yeah. Because have we have this sense of entitlement running in us because of all the rough things we've been through in life. Meanwhile, poor little Tink Tink with, two, with no legs has got his prosthetic on winning gold medals. I'm preaching, but y'all acting today. You weren't there the years that I was working out, eating right. Hello, somebody. 
Oh, look at Pastor. It's not as hard for you. It was hard. It is harder for you now because it was never hard for you for a long periodically time. Because I decided to scale a mountain over several years and you decided to scale it in a day is not my fault. I had to give up french fries on this fast because what we're eating, I eat naturally. It didn't feel like a fast. The requirements and restrictions are what I naturally do anyway. So I had to take something off that I really love, it's french fries. And I can eat french fries cold. I put my McDonald's french fries in the, in the refrigerator and I eat them the next day. I don't even warm them up. Just pop them bad boys. Little chili french fries, tastes great. I like all kinds of fries. Crinkle fries, skinny fries, seasoned fries, home fries. But I gave up fries for the fast because that's the only thing I could relating to food that really cost me anything. And I wanted solidarity of sacrifice. I worked out the same amount of time I tell y'all to work out. I work out like that anyway. This was years of living. So when you over here, oh, I wish I could have some rice. Oh, I wish I could have. I just want to look at you and go, well, you shouldn't have been eating it all them years. I feel no sympathy. When I was, when I was hitting it hard, you weren't there. Hello, somebody. Now you want to have a dramatic weight loss in a year. Go, go, go for it. I'm here for it. Do it. But don't complain about it. Amen. Don't look at me side eye. That's life. Amen. You understand how to manipulate this flesh? You have a better grasp of what life is about. Yeah. It shows up. What you don't do, what you do do with your life, it shows up. Look at Jules' arms. What she do with her life, it show up. Yeah. Hello, somebody? It shows up. You're trying to deny it. That's not, mm. What is showing up is how you think. How you think on a day-to-day -day basis is being revealed in your members. The quiet thoughts, the secret thoughts, the hidden shame, it ain't staying hidden no more. It's showing up. So when I say, hey, why don't we do something about this? <gasps> Hello, somebody. That was a sigh that I got. Let's fast for the rest of the year. <laughs> they were so against it that Mama Jean's A1C went up because she overdid all the carbs in lieu of the fast coming up. She went on a carb binge. Simon. He thought he could buy the gift of God to be able to lay hands on other people. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Simon wasn't asking to pay for the baptism of the Holy Ghost himself. He was asking for the ability to give it to others. Which seems very noble, doesn't it? Sort of. Okay, when you say pay for it, it makes you feel some sort of way. What if I say sacrifice? Because when you pay for an item, you take your money and you give it 
in order to have this other item. Yes? Mm. So are there things that you were willing to sacrifice that God might give you this other thing? Oh, but we don't operate in witchcraft. I'll give this up so that God can give me this. Now, when I say that the gifts of God can't be purchased, you go, amen. But you just made an agreement in your heart and mind with the Father that I'll give this up if you make sure that I have a good marriage. I'll give this up if you really say that I could get into ministry. I'll give this up if you say that this really works. I'll give this up if this is, oh, I'm preaching. Oh. Y'all better say amen. I am so in this Kool-Aid, it's ridiculous. You don't call it that you're paying for it, but it is. Because a gift, you don't have to do anything for it. The person just willingly gives it to you. But you are intrinsically moving with God in such a way that I will let go of this so that you can give me this. And I will not do this so that you can do this for me. And so that I can have favor in my life. So that I can have these blessings. So that I could maybe one day be free of this. And I would one day and I could have this. And all of this runs on the inside. And it's wrong as the day is long. It's so wrong that you can't even figure out how you're supposed to think without thinking like that. You're like, so I'm not supposed to think like that? <laughs> so I'm not supposed to think like, I need to do this and then God can do this for me? I mean, I'm not going to hold him to it, but I think that that is the method. Like if he don't do it, he God, I have to accept it. But ultimately, I want to live like this so that he can favor me, so he can give me this. Sit up. Straighten up on the insides. So how do I think? Y'all are so ingrained in this. You don't even know how to think apart from this. Let me, let me give you a, let me show you. This is a gift. A what? A gift. A what? A gift. Oh, a gift. She did nothing for me to put this in her hand. She didn't say, Pastor, can I have that shirt? She didn't say, Pastor, can I, I really need a blue shirt? She ain't say, Pastor, I'm going to put this down so you can give me this. It's a gift. You're so used to thinking with God in manipulative ways that you don't even know how to think that it's just a gift. There's nothing you could do to gain it. And there's, there's nothing you could do to earn it. Come on, somebody. There's nothing you could do to make it happen, to make it more favorable. He either wants to give it to you or he does not want to give it to you. Either he wants to bless you with it or he doesn't want to bless you with it. Either he's going to give it to you or he don't give it to you. But you say, well, just in case he don't want to give it to me, maybe I can. Maybe I can. Just in case he don't want to give it to me, maybe I can live like this. Maybe I can do like this. Maybe I can investigate this. Just in case he don't want to give it to me. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. In the church. Handling the one true living God as if he's an idol. As if he's some some Satan or demonic spirit that you have to coerce into giving you things. Not recognizing that he either wants to give it to you or he doesn't. And it is your responsibility to accept it. 
but you know how you do at the fear that he may not want what it is that you want you already start budgeting how you could buy it budgeting what you could do and say how you would make sure that I only would do this and I won't do that you already got a plan secretly in case because you could feel he may not want what you want I know because you do it to me and I'm not even God but how you handle me is a very clear understanding of how you handle God I didn't want to tell you, Pastor, because I knew what you was going to say. Did you now? You didn't want to tell me because you knew what I was going to say. You didn't want to ask me because you knew what I was going to advise. You didn't want to talk about it because you knew how it was going to go down. So this means you did it secretly. Go to First Kings. Go to Kings, Second Kings. Go to 2 Kings chapter 17. Y'all better wake up. That's okay. Even if you don't wake up, I'm going to preach regardless. I'll just feel it today. Amen. Amen. So sleep on. Miss your blessings. Hope you don't miss the gift. 2 Kings chapter 17. Verse 5. When you're there, say amen. Verse, okay. Verse 24. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24. We're going to go back to verse 5, but let's start at verse 24. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cutta, Ava, Amath, and Zephyrium, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. Stop right there. Simon was a Samaritan, right? And this, in 2 Kings, is a story of how the problems with Samaria started. Now, preachers have always preached that the Samaritans were a mixed breed, right? That's not exactly true. I mean, not in the way that we think. We think they were part Jewish and then intermingled with other people. No. 2 Kings tells us that they were not Israelites at all but rather they were people that the king of Assyria, after capturing Israel, removing them from Samaria, then took other people and put them in, the Isra- in Israel's land. Okay. Let's, let's back up here. Let's, let's back up here again. God promised Israel a land. They walked in that land. Second King says they became completely disobedient. Go back to verse 5. I love 2 Kings because it gives us a wonderful short version history of the life of Israel in their promised land. Verse 5 says, are we there? 2 Kings chapter 17. I'm the one that's not there. Verse (laughs) 5. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. So the king of Assyria captured Israel primarily because Israel sinned against God, and he captured them and exiled them from their promised land. It goes on to say, verse 9, because the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord, their God, the things that were not right. This was confusing to me because I'm thinking, 
If God know everything, how is it a secret? Right? It's my lack of understanding of English. It says they did secretly. It doesn't say that he didn't know it. Hello, some. Y'all don't want to help me today. It says they did secretly. Doesn't mean that God didn't know it. The emphasis here is on how you handled it, not whether it was effectively known or not known. You did secretly. Doesn't matter if you came back later and said it. Doesn't matter that it was real, revealed. Doesn't matter if I knew. You know how people tell me, Pastor, you already know. It's not the point. What I know is not the point. What God knows is not the point. His sovereignty, his knowledge, and the providence is not the point. What is the point is how did you do? And if you knew he knew all, then why did you behave secretly? Hello, somebody. It's real easy. Let me show you why. Let me show you why. This, 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 this is how you behave secretly, even though you know somebody knows. Everybody knows that we got body parts underneath these clothes. But we all change privately. And just because you be like, Pastor, we all got the same thing. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I will change privately. I will change secretly to cover what I don't want seen, even though you already know what I'm covering. Hello, somebody. We have a tendency to move and to cover what we know we should be ashamed of. And some of y'all are so silly, you don't even slow down long enough to realize that if you got to move that way, then you're ashamed that you're even doing it in the first place. Forget what I know. If you got to finesse it, cover it, don't tell all the truth, tell some of the truth, tell it at a later time. If you got to do all of this, then you already know you're ashamed. Has nothing to do with what I know, has nothing to do with what other people think, has nothing to do with what God knows. It's all about how you're moving. I'm preaching better. How you move revealed something. And it's going to show up in your flesh. Maybe not today, but over years, just like that fat you accumulated, it's going to show up. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. The habits of how you live secretly and behind closed doors and in covered places of your mind, your thoughts, and your emotions will always be revealed in the natural because God is spirit. It's always going to show up. Whatever is done in the dark will come to light. Whatever is hidden will be revealed. Your propensity to think a certain way for long periods of time of your life will eventually show up in your life through drug addiction, Food addiction, compulsive behavior, habits, through anger, through bitterness, through sex, through drugs, whatever you call it, doesn't matter what it is. All that we know is when we see it, it is a reflection of what's been happening on the inside for a long time. Eat that. Eat that. Manja, eat that. Manja, manja, eat that. Because you try to act like this just showed up. And I have to reveal, you've been thinking like this since here. 
You've been thinking like this since there. You was thinking like it's always been there and you never uprooted that way of thought. So it keeps manifesting. We'll cut it down for a minute, but that root is still there and eventually it'll spring back up. Then we'll cut it down again. Then it'll spring back up. Then we'll cut it down again. Then we'll spring it back up. Now at some point you're going to associate yourself with this thing. Now you are this thing that I'm cutting down. Yes. You can't even separate yourself from that. Jesus. So now when I'm rebuking the thing that you're doing, trying to cut the thing down, you think I'm rebuking you. I feel like you're coming for me. I can't understand why you're so interconnected with this thing that has to be removed. Why are you and Satan like this? Because believers, we be like, is that what that is? Uh-uh. You be going, why are you doing this to us? Why are you treating me like this? I, I, I'm confused. Amen? The children of Israel... It goes on in, in Kings, and the people of the Lord of Israel did secretly against the Lord, their God, things that were not right. Look at this. They built for themselves, this is verse 9, high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and on, under every green tree. In essence, they themselves built for they themselves Monuments to anything that looked good and successful. If it looked like it worked, let's, let's, put, a, let's put a marker there because that was a good thing that I did right there. If this is a good, nice green tree, let's put a marker there. That's a good spot for it to be. Come on, somebody. If this, if this is a good, high, successful point in my life, let's put a pin right there. That's good. Let's, let's remember that because that's, that's how you need to move from now on. So they began to set high places for themselves. Things that you already associate was good for you. It doesn't even matter if the Lord didn't call that high place a high place. It doesn't matter if he, didn't, if he said it was good for you or not. You said it was good for you. You said this is best for me. You said this will work for me. You said this is successful. You said this is what anybody should want. And so you established a high place. You still love God? You still serve the Father? But here is something that you think has gone very well. And it matters not if that's not what he had for you. He didn't even tell you to come worship him over there with that. But I want to use it to serve you. I didn't ask you to serve me with that. But this could be used for your kingdom. I didn't ask you to set that up. But he could, me and him, we could, he could get saved. She could get saved. I didn't ask you to serve me in that way. But we could be friends. I didn't ask you to serve me in that way. But we, uh -huh, nobody asked you. You built this up for yourself. Are you getting weary of the amount of butt smacking that is happening? Because I am not even tired. After they set up the high places, look at 2 Kings. I love how it gives us the rundown in Samaria. He says, after that, they set this up. 
things that the Lord told him not to do. He says, you shall not do this. He said, I told you, you shall not do it. But you did it anyway. Start setting up high places. Go on down to verse 15. Then they moved on from setting up high places to despising the statutes. Now we despise the rules you put in place. Now, how did this despising happen? Because you set up a high place that says this worked. You said this was good for me. Now, if he comes along and says it's not good for you, then you are going to end up looking at the high place and despising the fact that he said that something that is so evidently good for you is not good for you. Oh, I'm in the house today. Now you hate the rules, the religion. I'm not into religion. It ain't about the law. Are you despising the statutes? You should be surpassing the law. Like going above and beyond the law. Not, not even making that point. Sounds to me like you have a case of despising the statutes of God. Hello, somebody. No? So if you despise the statutes, that means the laws, the rules, how things should work in the will of God. If you despise that, then inevitably you're going to take in more about the thing that you love. If I don't like how you're telling me not to, and all the preached sermons you're giving me about not to, and all the preaching in Sunday mornings about not to, I'm naturally on Monday going to gravitate towards all the things that would tell me how to continue in this good high place that I set up. How can I continue in trading? How can I continue in this relationship? How can I continue to go this way? How? Why is it right? Why is it good? How does it still work? Why is it okay? And naturally from Monday to Saturday, that's where you're going to be. Taking in statutes and the ways that things work for that high place. And then lastly, we ain't even done. That would be enough to kick him out of the land, the promised land right there, wouldn't it? He didn't. He waited until... Verse 10. No, verse, where was I at? 15. Verse 15, it says, They despised the statutes of his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. They went after the things that promised to give them what they wanted and became what it is they wanted. See, now your new statutes and all your new high places, you're learning how the people that serve these high places, how they live. You're learning how to be gay and a Christian. You're learning how to, be, how to drink and a Christian. You're learning how to how to have sex outside of marriage and a Christian. You're learning how to lie and a Christian. You're, lear you're learning this. And so you gravitate to these people that are giving you the words of wisdom, secular wisdom, 
on how to still believe in God while you do this other stuff. How to be good at this other stuff. Hello, somebody. How to have the best weed. The best liquor mix. The best pill to pop. The best kind of adverse relationship. The best kind of money. You take this in, and other people that really serve this, they serve these areas, give you wisdom on how to serve those areas. You're not going to call it an idol. We're just going to say areas. Right? And so you become affluent in that practice. Y'all don't want to play fair with me. You become a professional on how to have a friendship that ain't godly. Hello, somebody. You become a professional on how to trade and a professional on how to have a, 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 a promiscuous relationship. You become a professional on how to keep her from pastor and a professional on how to hide it from the believers and a professional. Oh, you don't really gave in to the statutes and the honor of this idol. From your barber talk, come on now, Tori. To your internet conversations. To your peer-to-peer dialogue. Look at you. See, if I was you, I wouldn't even say nothing. Professional. Because see, really, what it's really, it's, 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 what's up, it's almost right for you. Professional. Look at this. Ain't this interesting? Hello? Now you following after their idol. And then the scriptures say, then you become it. You loved how cool they look. Now you it. You love the effortlessness it seemed that they have with their lives where they carefree, do whatever they want. Now you got it. And now when you become it, you recognize it ain't everything that you thought it was. And it still has not erased the conflict that it currently exists between you and your salvation with it. So not only is it not what I fantasized it would be, it still doesn't remove the conflict. Now I got two problems. And then eventually you say, I could have been saved for all of this. And here you come. It wasn't even worth it. It wasn't even worth it. But when wisdom spoke to your ears and said, don't go over there. Don't do that. Don't handle it like that. Oh, no, you have some other statutes and some other idols that was talking to you. Now now you over here, it wasn't worth it. And you think that this registers as love. Whoa, 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 whoa. You think because you came back, because it wasn't worth it, that this registers as love. What a sick and degrading individual you are. You loved it when it was working for you. But when it's not working for you, you ain't got no parts in it. And now you want to go back to what you had. You know, the Bible calls that a whore. It calls it whoredom. 
No, that's what it calls it. You loved it when it was working for you. When it was no longer working for you and it started costing you more. And this relationship is costing me more. And this job is costing me more. And this situation is costing me more. And you all, now all of a sudden it's not working for you. Now you want to come back, Lord. And just because he's out here with open arms, the rest of us, yes, me, is sitting here like, yeah, he'll take you back, but we're going to have some work to do. Him receiving you is not an indicator that how you treated him is acceptable. And when it's time for you to learn how to treat him, it's too hard. Sister, I'm going to use you as an example. Sister Sierra called me the other day, not recently. She called me the other day and told me, in essence, that she was kind of complaining on God about how he wasn't doing something in her life. And she didn't come out to say it, but I could tell by her tone. She was disappointed. She said, because, Pastor, you said that I should do it this way. And I said, yes, because you said you heard God. But regardless, I think you got an art with me and God. You can't have it with God, so you got it with me. That I encourage you to go in this direction with your life. And you run into problems. I said, but let's just cut to the chase. You're really mad at God. And let me tell you something. My God is good. And I had to defend God in her hearing so that she can get herself together. Some of y'all are not met with the challenge where somebody says, it ain't that God is bad. God is good. He is really good. He is still good. Just because it ain't working out for you don't mean he ain't good. He is still amazing and wonderful. And if you play your cards right, he might gift you with something. Any parents in here got multiple kids? Don't, if you do, you may be going to say this. I have, I shepherd multiple sheep, okay? I shepherd multiple sheep. Now, it is no lie that there are some people in my house that are closer to me than others. You can be close to me too. You can be as close to me as you want to be. That's the rule. I'm not chasing you. You come to church, I'm here, I serve you. you we, we can be as interconnected in our lives as you want to be. You want me to be not in your personal business, you, you want me to be in your personal business. However you want to do it, this you determine the level. Yeah. I will find you and reach you no matter what, as long as you're in my covering. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. But there's certain people that are closer, because they desire to be what? Yeah. Just as long as you know. It's not a click. I didn't select it. They just keep, even when I deselect, they just keep pushing in. Get away from me. I ain't getting away from you. Where am I going to go? Go home. Mm -mm, I'm not going to go home right now. <laughs> we need to work this out, Pastor. <laughs> you have no sense of boundaries. No, I do not. There's no space between us. <laughs> but I say all this to say, when you've got multiple kids, you love all of them equally. Hello, parents. But you must admit that there are some children that naturally fit your personality type versus some of your other children. I'm, uh, parents, parents, don't leave me out here hanging like this. Parents with one kid, you wouldn't understand. It's only for parents with multiple kids. You would d give to each and every one. You love, you know, love them with your whole heart. 
Some kids you prefer to take out with you to run errands. Other kids you would not mind if they just stayed home. Some, everybody gonna eat. Everybody gonna have clothes. Everybody's gonna be provided for. This kid is great to take to the game. This kid is not. This kid is great to go to the uh, mall with. This kid is not. Do you understand? What I've come to learn as a pastor of many spiritual children is what makes me fond or the most fond of my kids is when they are operating at their best self. It doesn't matter what their self is. It's when they are genuinely and uniquely Gabrielle. I love it because I love her. When she's genuinely and uniquely Danielle. What agitates is when Danielle tries to be Gabby. When comparisons start and readjusting and reconfiguring, now it's like, and people do this with God. Come on, somebody. They compare what they see in other people and try to reconfigure themselves to fit that. Y'all don't want to play fair today. The Bible says, follow me as I follow Christ, but I'm a very hands-on shepherd. I will tell you, this works for me. This will not work for you. Make sense? When it comes to the gift of God, you can't buy them. You can't earn them. They're given. It's as if he goes, this would be a good fit for you. I was walking in the store, and I saw this, and I thought of you. Now, there's other kids out here. I didn't get them nothing. <laughs> nothing. I walked in the store, and I did not think of you on any of these items. But does it negate my love for you? No, no, no. You got to hear this about God. Because some of you think that what did Danielle do so that I can do it, that I could have what she has? That's good. Not recognizing that God was walking through time. Come on, somebody. And realize that in the walk through time, in the cool of the day, this would be a good fit for Danielle. And don't worry. He's going to walk through time again and find something that's a good fit for Monifa. Come on. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it just so happens he ain't went out to that part of time yet that to bring you what belongs to you. Y'all don't want to help me today. So now you're that kid that's trying too hard. That's getting frustrated because when such and such did it and I do it, then you get mad at me for doing it. And all God really wants you to do is be authentically you. To know that he loves you, he sees you, and he will gift you also. But if you're not careful, you'll start trying to barter on how to get the same gifts that such and such has on Instagram. How to get that snatched waist. How to get that house. How to get that type of marriage. How to get those type of kids. How to have that type of health. How to blah, 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 blah. And not just wait for your gift. 
Witchcraft is when you try to figure out how to get the gift. When you try to figure it out, whether it's before his time or not even in his will. Look at this. When Simon wanted the power to be able to lay hands and give other people the Holy Ghost, he did not recognize what came with that. The people that are laying hands to give people the Holy Ghost are the same people that are running for their lives and dying. The apostles were martyred, were chased, were slaughtered, were slain. Preaching the gospel. They had no home, no kids, no place to settle. So you say you want this gift. But what comes with it does not fit your personality. So then you try to find a way because you so intrinsically feel it should be yours. And that comes from a sense of bitterness because you feel like he took something from you. You took my innocency from me, you should let me have this. You took my sexuality from me, you should let me have this. You took my dad from me, you should let me have this. You took my happy, I didn't get a chance to live like that, to grow up like that, you should let me have it. And so now you try to figure out ways to get what you felt like should belong to you because you didn't have, and it's the root of bitterness, and it binds you to what? Iniquity. That was from last week. So you've just been operating in witchcraft. And manipulation. With God himself. Doesn't matter that it doesn't work. What matters is how you move. Doesn't matter that he can't be deceived. The fact is how you're moving secretly, covertly, quietly. How you moving with this, but I should have, and sh he should. You know what? I'm not going to do none of that, so that God has to bless me with a good wife. And he has to, he just, and because such and 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 such. Simon tried to buy it. The apostle said, absolutely not. You have no part in this. The gift of God can't be purchased. Now, he was a Samaritan, Right? We're looking at the Samaritans in 2 Kings, right? When the children of Israel, after they first set up high places, then they despised the statutes, then they began to serve the idols, and then lastly, they began to make their own idols. Do you see the progression here? First, you establish that this is good for you, even if it's not what God wants for you. Then you begin to seek and understand from other people that teach you how to live like that. Hello? And you begin to despise how God told you to live. And then after that, you begin to serve that thing. You give it all your time and most of your energy and blah, 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 blah. Now, bear in mind, you still love God with your spiritual self. Hello, somebody. But this is just in addition to your life. And now you're serving that idol. And then you become that idol. Now you're known to be that person. And you're known to be this person. And you're known by you're being good at this and you're being good at that and you're being good at this. Nobody says Christian, but everybody else says something else. And after that, you start making your own. Now you're making the idols. You're making the bells. You're making the statues. Now you're telling other people, this is how you need to live in order to have what I have. 
You need to eat like this. That's how I did it. You need, to, you need to do like this with your money. You need, to, you need to go like this with your friendships. You need to do like this. This is how I did it, and it worked. I was able to do it. It could work for you, too. Oh, did we just make a calf for somebody else to serve when you should have been serving at it in the first place? Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say amen. It's tight, but it's right. Come on, stretch them legs. I ain't quitting. I am not quitting. Hello, somebody. I ain't getting to the end till the Lord said that's enough for today. So you might as well stretch it out, baby. I have not gotten the signal to end it yet. I got much more. I know we ain't going to get to all of it, but we this ain't to stop. I said, come on up and stretch your legs. Get on up, stretch your legs. Get on up, stretch your Get. How many times I got to say? Avila's. Levantin's day. Amen, amen. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you so much. Simple acts of obedience chases the enemy away. When you justify your disobedience, it just causes him to stay. This is truth in this service, and it's true in your life. Simple acts of obedience chases the enemy away. When you justify disobedience, you allow him to stay. Simple acts of obedience chases the enemy away. When you justify disobedience, you allow him to stay. If I say stand and you say it's not necessary for me. If I say lift your hands, you say he knows my heart. The truth of the matter, this is easy. Why is it hard? The only reason it's hard is because you don't want to do it. Hello? Because you didn't come up with it for yourself. So since it didn't generate from you, now it's hard. And that's a good place for a Satan to fester. Because this means you only do what you come up with. You're only really giving motivated to do it when you feel. Not if God feels. The woman of God could be preaching the word of God all up and down the alley and make a request and you will still sit. You could feel the presence of God in the word, the preached word ministering to your heart. And when a command is given, you're slow. Instantly, you think about comfort, self, and preference. Instantly. I mean, this is just a light example, but I have to show you how down bad it is. If I was on the edge of my seat and I realized that you was preaching to me and I was like, stuff is shifting on the inside. Stand up. So what you're really revealing to me is that somewhere you're in the valley of decision yet again <laughs> on whether you're going to do what God says, the way he says, and how he says, through whatever means he says, or you're going to do whatever you feel. While I'm preaching against the, same, the exact thing. That's all right. Because if the word of God can't save you, baby, you can't be saved. <laughs> If the word of God can't save you, you can't be saved. And don't sit there with that. 
Have a seat. Everybody's big and bad until hell shows up. In this point of time, you feel it so far off that you could have a nasty attitude. You could waver. You could doubt. Everybody feels that way until hell shows up. I've never been beside a bedside of someone dying with multiple regrets in their life and not see the tables turn. You feel safe in the house of God right now. That's the only reason why you feel entitled to have an attitude. But hop in that car, hear somebody brake squeak, some car jump in front of you, instantly. What ain't right comes flooding before what is right. That's why everybody's big and bad until hell shows up sit there smugly today as they sat while Christ was crucified. Rushing me. Y'all hot? I'm hot. Y'all ain't even sweating to the same extent. So in 2 Kings, they made the idol. Eventually, God kicked them out of the promise. What? Eventually, God kicked them out of the promise. In 2 Kings, he exiled them from the promise. The promised land that he promised them he said, get out. God wouldn't say that. He did. And then he brought other people that weren't even Israel to live in it. He said all of Israel upset him. And he kicked all of Israel out of the promise and then had the king of Assyria bringing people from Babylon and everywhere else. Because God was like, it's the same thing. Y'all are just like them. You might as well let them live here. Let them live there. And then when the lions started attacking them, the people, the Samaritans, the, the new people that came to inhabit Samaria, called back to the king and said, these lions is out here killing us. We don't know how to serve the gods in this land. So the king of Assyria sent Israel priests to teach the Sumerians how to live according to the statutes of God. This in the Bible. The lions had been there all along. Lions had been there all along, but the children of Israel wouldn't get eaten up by the lions. Because there's a part of their service to God that still remained even though they were serving other gods. So I'm not going to let the lions devour you, but you are going to get out of this promise. Believers live like that. I'm not going to let the enemy overtake you, but you're definitely not going to fulfill the promises that I have for your life. That's done. You're done. So they come, they get priests that teach them how to honor the God of that land, which is our God. They do that, it's wonderful. They teach them about Jacob and Israel and the, and the trip from Egypt and how God delivered them from a mighty hand. They teach them about sacrificing of lambs and sheep and goats. 
And the Samaritans lived like that for thousands of years. So when Jesus shows up and everybody's like, we can't stand the Samaritans, the Samaritans like, y'all was foul. That's why y'all got kicked out. And we live and we serve in the real place you're supposed to live and serve the whole time, but you messed up. Ah. So when Jesus runs into a Samaritan, let's go there in John. Hello, somebody. When Jesus goes to the Samaritan in John chapter 4, I believe it is, he meets a Samaritan woman, similar to Simon the Samaritan. He meets a Samaritan woman. She's a woman at the well. She's that thought we were talking about, character number two. She's a believer. She's had multiple husbands. None of them have been her husbands, and the guy she's currently with is not her husband, even though they are together. Jesus shows up and asks her for some water as she's at the well. She says, why are you a Jew asking me for water? Y'all know y'all don't want no parts of us. We're dirty and filthy to you. Primarily because God trained us when he kicked y'all out. Now, this is generation after generation, so they feel like they are Israel. We're in the promised land. We're living in the promise. We have the priests. We were trained by the priests. Our fathers and our forefathers have been followers of Jacob. Right? So she says, why are you a Jew asking me for water? Well, y'all deal with us. Now, Jesus says something unique to her. This is John chapter 4, verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Then Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the what? Gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus said, If you knew the gift. And who it is who is talking to you, you would ask me for water. It's obvious she didn't know the gift. And I think it might be obvious that you don't know the gift. He says, because you would ask me for, for water, living water, right? Then what it goes on after verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank, it for and drank it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. This is a banter about between Jewish people and, and, and Samaritans. She says, you're asking me for water. You don't have any dealings with us. He says, well, if you really knew who you were talking to and what I have and, and what I can give you, then you'd be asking me for water. In essence, we are the original believers of God. You are the imitation. You should be asking me. And she's like, you don't even have a bucket to pull water. This is a tongue in cheek. It's like, number one, in terms of faith, you don't have anything for me. And it's so obvious because you don't even have a bucket to get the water. Living water here is being used as symbolism in a banter of sarcasm, okay. as belief and religion and faith. Give me a drink of water. You know you don't fool up with us. Well, if you knew 
the gift. See, something you don't understand, Samaritan. And I am a Jew, and I have the understanding. You would be asking me for water. If you have so much understanding, then where is your bucket? Since you want to pull from the well of Jacob here in Samaria rather than in Jerusalem where you belong. This well is deep for generations. You don't even have a bucket. You can't even hold the depth of our faith. This is the kind of banter that is happening here. You have to understand the context to be like, okay, y'all snapping on each other, huh? He's like, woman, go get your man. I'm not going to sit here and talk to you. Put it down. She says, I have no husband. He said, you right. You done had all kinds of husbands, and the one you with ain't yours. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. You're a prophet. I perceive you are a prophet. Oh, now we want to get humble. All right, all right, all right. You're a prophet. <laughs> right? He goes on to say, Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is of or from the Jews. Stop right there. Woman, you need to know this. The hour is coming where it's not going to be about where you worship. It's not going to be about this mountain or Jerusalem. It's going to be something uniquely different. You're worshiping what you don't know. We know what we worship. In essence, your understanding of God is not firsthand experience. It was given to you. Your salvation is from the Jews. Y'all don't want to help me today. You're living in this promised land, our promised land, and this salvation from those foreign gods did not come because you were picked by God. It came because God picked us and then we had to teach you. So salvation is from the Jew. You don't know who you worship. You don't have any real encounter with this God. You're doing what you were taught. Could you imagine being a Samaritan and feeling like, you know what? The God that, the people of this land, he did what out of Egypt? How? The Red Sea? No. Just walked on it? Just dry land? What happened to Pharaoh? They drowned. Plagues? A pillar of fire? Y'all got to be kidding me. No, that's how it worked out. My God, this is a good God. This is an amazing God. He's absolutely wonderful. They just hear of the testimony of everything God did for Israel, and then from that testimony, they began to worship God themselves. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But now there's tension because they're freely worshiping God. And then the Jews keeps reminding them, you don't have the right 
to worship God. You weren't picked. You're not the real Israelite just because you're in the land. And he brought you over here and he taught you how to wor worship. You still don't have the bloodline that we have in the tribes and, and everything. So while they're worshiping God, serving God, generation after generation, they still don't feel accepted. So when Christ shows up and he tells her, he says, woman, this thing about where you worship, indicating the authenticness of the believer, doesn't even matter. This is the gift that is coming. Now, I know this doesn't sound, let's, let's fast forward, go back to Acts. Go back in your Bibles. Acts chapter 8. Let's look at our third character before we go, and I'm going to put it right beside her. This Samaritan woman, this thought, this believer, who was told that you don't, you worship what we, we know that you don't even know. You don't even know this God. You just know of him. We know him. Right? He says, but don't even worry about it. It's going to be a time where these mountains and these places won't even matter. It won't be about the lands. It won't be about the promised land or the location. Because God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Before you go back to Acts, look at that. He says, God is spirit. Sometimes when I read that, I always read God is a spirit. I'm defining his nature. But he says he is spirit. The spirit of something is always where life generates. It's where the essence is and what you see that comes from it, where the thing that comes from it comes from. That is spirit. And all of our language barriers, that's pretty much it. It's the essence of the thing that is exhibited. The source of the thing that is exhibited. Does that make sense? All right. Generally speaking, that's the word spirit. When we say God is spirit, we're saying whatever this is, life, creation, he is that source. So then Christ tells a Samaritan woman, God is spirit, and he is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. In essence, who will worship him from essence, not from external, sacrificing sheep on this hill or this mountain, or trying to pay for the gift like Simon, or trying to figure out a way to how to have this. I'm not looking for people that will worship me from externalities. I'm looking for people that will worship me from who they really are. From spirit. Now we know we're born in sin and shape and iniquity. I don't even have the spirit to worship you. Aha! The hour is coming and God is seeking those that must worship him from spirit and truth. Not from what you don't know, but from who you are. Not from an understanding that someone taught you, but really this is how your standard of integrity is so deep. So for something to be integrous, that means it is down at the foundation and root. This is who you are. You're not making this choice based off of what you want. You're making it based off of who you are. I do not want to fold clothes. I don't feel like cleaning my house. 
I don't feel like sweeping my floors. I don't feel like washing the dishes. But I am a clean person. Hello, somebody. Some of you are not clean people. Even though you wash clothes, even though you do dishes, y'all don't want to help me here, even though you sweep floors, even though you fold and put them away, you know you're still not a clean person because you got to clean up before anybody comes to your house. I do not have to do that. Ever. Ever. Do you see the difference? You clean, but you're not a clean person. I'm a clean person, so I clean. The difference between you and I is you clean based off of externalities. Somebody's coming over. I clean based off of the spirit and essence of who I am. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. I am preaching better than y'all is acting today. Some of y'all out here trying to live like a believer, but you ain't a believer. Come on, somebody. You over here trying to live saved, but you ain't saved. You trying to put on salvation, baby, but you ain't received salvation. really receive salvation because you got to clean up before church on Sunday you got to clean up before the Holy Spirit come down your row you got to clean up before you can determine if you want to come to the altar you got to clean up to determine if you want to stand or lift your hands you got to go do some introspection should I lift my hands do I feel like listening do I feel should I stand up what is all of this because believers, when the voice of God says, stand, stand. We already prayed that a church's voice you wouldn't hearken unto, so uh, what's up with that? It's only two voices going on. Mine, yours, hello, on the spiritual side, God's and Satan's. None of these voices are strangers to you. Interesting. Hmm? I appreciate better y'all acting today. God, now those that uh, must worship him. Must. Anything short of that is not worship to the Father. You singing songs. You doing dancing. You clapping your hands. But it's not coming from who you are. It's coming from what I'm telling you to do. Now come on and say this. Now come on and say that. Now come on and clap your hands. Now come on and shout hallelujah. See, I'm telling you what to do. I am teaching you like a Samaritan. But the hour is now when those that will worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. I got to tell you what to do because you, otherwise you'd be sitting there like, what do I do with my hands? Am I doing the thing? Am I doing what everybody else is doing? Am I feeling what everybody else is feeling? Am I feeling that? Is this what we're doing? Uh-huh. Living like a Samaritan. He said, must worship. Just like you must sacrifice this lamb, forget all that. Now you must from who you are. From the source of life itself. From where all your help comes from. From where all your strength comes from. From where all truth and understanding comes from. This is where you worship him. That's why I said earlier, use your words. 
You ain't got no words. There's nothing for you to tap into other than what I give you. Questionable. You have nothing that you could just from the inside say, this is how I feel about God. Because if you had a rough week, then I don't really feel it today. If, if I messed up, then I just, I just feel. So now it's all external. All external. You might as well be sacrificing sheep, goats, and lambs because it's all external. But he's desiring those that worship from who they are. From who you are. If I find you to be an excitable person, I don't understand why you're sitting over here quiet. Because you think it looks more spiritual? If you're a spiritual person and you're solemn and in the reverence for God, I expect to see that. I know because when I come talk to you, I say, good morning, Danielle. She says, good morning, Pastor. How are you, mighty woman of God? <laughs> then I would expect to see her go, ah, ah. But I don't get that with Dad. I say, good morning, Daddy. Good morning, Pastor. What do I expect to see? Hallelujah! <laughs> Not based off of externalities. Your week, your day, what somebody else is doing, but based off of who you really are. God loves me. I'm telling you. The blessings of God come because he loves you. I can't, when people love on me, I can't help but to reciprocate. It don't mean I don't love nobody else that didn't love on me. It just means the ones that love on me, it's like a reflex. Daddy get me something, a couple months later I might be going, oh, that daddy would like that. I get her something. I don't do it because she did it. It's just a reflex. It just show. It just. It's a reflex. Love from a deep place comes as a reflex. Not as a manipulative tool to figure out what is best and what should I in order to get something. When, God, when you want God to bless you, you don't know how to make his love a reflex. He wants to make it a reflex. Well you, well, you should know, when that lady, when my Karen was getting on my nerves about the new house, everybody knew, we don't know how it's going to work out, but it's going to work out. We are, everybody already knew it. I said, well, the Lord, he might want me to suffer. If he wants me to suffer, that's fine. But I know it ain't going to be for long, but he's going to have to do something. We all knew it because we knew one thing, God loves me. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or his seed begging bread. Hello, somebody. Never seen it. Never seen it. So we can look at people that we know love God, and we can say we know God is going to work that out. You can't say it for yourself sometimes because you have not caused the love of God to be a reflex in your life. You always feel the hiccup. Well, maybe he don't want me to have it. Well, maybe he won't do that for me. Well, how do I know? You feel the hiccup because you have not learned to love. You haven't learned to receive his love, and then you don't know how to give it back. He pours his love on you, and you're so selfish. Every time he pours love and restoration, you go back to thinking about you. Oh, did it not work out? Now you want to come to the Father? You think that's real love? Nobody wants that kind of relationship. No. Where just because it didn't work, now you know that God is real. Yeah. 
just because you can't have it, well, now you're my B plan. You can't make God your B plan and expect for him to be loose with the blessings. But why does he work it out for me? See, you're forgetting what started this was your inability to show him love. Because Christ was slain from the foundation of the earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He already took the initiative. You were really bad at reciprocating your reflexes for God. Like, don't you love God? Yes. Well, why are you doing that? Hasn't he been good to you? Pastor, why don't you just stop serving? Your mom passed away. Why don't you just... I don't know. If God will strengthen me, I'll do whatever he wants me to do. If he don't strengthen me, I won't do it. But if he wants me to sit down, I'll sit down. Whatever he wants me to do, I'll, you know, he's just been good. Aren't you mad at God? No, nah, he's been too good. He's always been good. He's still good. I hate how this feels. I hate the fact that my mom's not here. Every day I cry. I cry in my dreams. I cry when I'm awake. It's always tears for two years now. But God is still good. Anybody try to tell me differently, I'll come for you. I love him. I'm faithful through sickness and health, through good times and bad times. Hello, somebody. If you can't do that with a perfect God, you ain't ready to get married. Because these people are imperfect. My thing is, God loves you, but you don't have good reflexes. Your instinct is not to show him love. Your instinct is to love yourself. You need to get up out of this promise. Uh-uh, this ain't for you. This is for people whose reflexes. When they said you need to shut down the church, I'm going to stay here. These doors are going to be open. You don't have to come. But people don't have to only know God because of the Internet. They should be able to walk into a house. If they got COVID, we should be able to lay hands, speak healing. If I die of COVID, I die of COVID. That's God's will. But nevertheless, we are going to do this. Hello, somebody. Instinct of the love for the Father. Where is your reflexes? Which makes me question your spirit. Where are you worshiping from? Self or the spirit of God that he gave you? Hello, somebody. Huh? When we see Simon in, in Acts chapter 8, he tries to buy the gift of God. We see the Samaritan woman not understanding what the gift is. Now we get, in Acts chapter 8, to a eunuch. In modern day, he would be a, a member of the LGBT community that's very successful and influential. He's got chariots upon chariots. He understands the methods of the world. He has used them for good. He has accumulated a tons of wealth and favor and influence, and he is a sexual deviant. How he moves throughout uh, his life, we don't know how he became a eunuch. Christ preached about eunuchs. He said some are born a eunuch. That means the sexual function has no service. Some are born with no sexual function. Some choose no sexual function for the kingdom's purposes. And then some are made usable in that area. Christ talks about this. He says there are three types. Now, the reason why Christ is mentioning this is because back in Deuteronomy, 
When it came to eunuchs, it was told that they're not allowed to enter into the temple. When we get in Acts chapter 8, Philip is sent to talk to a eunuch. We don't know which one of the three categories he is. We don't know if his parents, some traditions say that his parents made him a eunuch in order to give him to the ruling government at that time so they might gain favor. We don't know if he chose it for himself in order to serve the Ethiopian queen, right? But we know he was the treasurer of the queen, right? Treasurer of the queen, he was into big treasures. He decided to go to Jerusalem to worship a eunuch from Ethiopia. Decided to go to Jerusalem. It couldn't be to worship in the temple because he knew he wasn't allowed. But he went nevertheless just to be around the people of God. Now hear this. Here is a man that is highly influential in the kingdom that was, that, that could not be defeated by the kingdom that defeated Jerusalem. Okay. Ethiopia at the time, which is not really Ethiopia. I think it's not Kenya. It's another place, but it's not Ethiopia. What we know is Ethiopia, uh, but it's another African country. All right. But let's just say Ethiopia, the Ethiopian people, they're south of Egypt which is why it's not Ethiopia. They're right below Egypt. When Rome attacked Egypt, went through Israel, attacked Israel, went through Egypt, attacked Egypt, came to Ethiopia, they pushed them back. And they became allies. So his kingdom is a great kingdom of Rome. They're allies, not vassals, not under, weren't overtaken. It was like, all right, so we can't take you? No. We cool? We'll be cool for trade purposes, right? Now, the same Rome conquered Israel, conquered Egypt. So he knows good kingdom. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't want to help me today. Similar to the Samaritans, when they were brought over from all these other lands to dwell in the promised land, they recognized this God is something special. So special that we're not even going to appease him. We're going to take on serving and worshiping him as our own identity. This is a good God. This guy, this eunuch, recognized those people. The God's people that did the Egypt and, I mean, we fought against Egypt and won. But they won by means that were supernatural. Their God came and fought for them. Like, we have to entice our gods to give us favor, but their God came and fought for them forget the queen who wants to serve the queen when you could serve the god he understood kingdom he went to jerusalem to see this these people who have this amazing god and he longed to be a part of that kingdom y'all don't want to help me here Similar to the Samaritan woman who says, I love the God of the Jews, but they won't accept me, but I faithfully worship and I faithfully serve. Similar to the eunuch, come on somebody, I really want to be a part of this kingdom, but I faithfully read the book of Isaiah and I faithfully serve and I make my pilgrimage even if I can't get in. Philip. 
is told by the Holy Spirit to overtake his chariot. He hears this eunuch reading the book of Isaiah. And he's reading the book of Isaiah on the portion that talks about Christ as the lamb, in Isaiah 53. If you read it for yourself, he says something along the lines that in his humiliation, his justice was taken away from him. And it talks about how this, this Messiah, this king, this Christ is going to come and he'd be humiliated. And not only that, but the justice that should be his is stripped from him while he's humiliated. Now, I can imagine as a eunuch. You have an affinity for understanding humiliation. For what it means to bear shame on a consistent basis. And to find the best way to work through life bearing this shame. When he's reading it, and Philip overhears him, he says, do you know what you are reading? The eunuch says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. What he's really saying is, I come all this way wanting to understand the God of this Isaiah, and no one will teach me. I went to the temple so I could hear the teachings, and they won't let me in. I went around the people, and the rabbis won't have anything to do with me. I have all this success. I have all this ability. I have all this favor, but I know what a good kingdom looks like, and I really want to be a part of that kingdom, and I can't get in. Philip says, let me tell you something. The, the eunuch says, is this verse of Isaiah? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is he the one that's going to be humiliated and then his justice taken away? Or is he talking about somebody else? Philip says, he's talking about somebody else. I'm sure the story goes something like, well, who's he talking about? I'm glad you asked. His name was Jesus. His name was Jesus. It was Jesus. It is Jesus. He already came. Who came? The man that you're reading. The man that I'm reading about, he came. He came. Was he humiliated? He was humiliated. Was his justice taken from him? His justice was taken from him. Why would he endure such a thing that you might be able to come into the kingdom? He did it all that you might be able to be included because units were not included back in Deuteronomy. But that does not mean that you don't have the spirit that really wants to worship God, even though externally you can't. But the Savior has come. The Savior has come for those that worship him in spirit and in truth. I can't get in, and I want to get in, but I'll be content with just being around. I want to worship God rightly, but the Jews won't have anything to do with me. And I'm trying to find love, and it's not working out. And, and I don't understand God and what's right and what's wrong, and I'm just trying to make it. But I really, really want to worship God. I have good news for you. This is this, this Ethiopian eunuch. As Philip was discussing the story of Jesus and revealing it through the prophet Isaiah, telling him about his earthly walk and baptisms and John the Baptist and the whole shebang, they passed by a body of water and the eunuch said, wait, wait a minute. If he really came to bring all these people into his kingdom, then here's a body of water. What prevents me from receiving it? And being baptized, Philip says, absolutely nothing. 
The eunuch commands the chariots to stop. They put a halt on it. They hop out. They baptize him in water. And Philip is translated to another place. And the eunuch rejoices and celebrates because now he sees very plainly that he has been accepted into the kingdom of God. He had such reverence for this kingdom. See, that's the problem. We, we don't make the kingdom of God have, look good in anybody's eyes. Hello, somebody. P- people should have reverence for the kingdom of God. Yeah. I can't be the only way who's trying to make the kingdom look good. The kingdom of God is good. Yeah. For this Bernice. <laughs> He's reverenced the kingdom of God all these years, and they wouldn't let him in. Then he finds out that the Christ came, and he could get in. He said, wait, 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 you talking about all I got to do is I can be baptized? He said, if you be baptized and believe with your whole heart, he said, I believe with my whole heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He said, let's do it. Can you imagine after longing to be included in this great kingdom, after longing to know this great God, not just to serve him, but to know him, for somebody to say, come on in. See, this is why it's so detrimental, it's bad when children without the spirit of God are raised in church. They have a sense of entitlement. That somehow the things of God are owed to them. They're, They're so common with the presence of God. They don't have any reverence for it. They don't have any earnest desire for how it feels to be a part of it. No respect for the title of a Christian. They want to buy the gift for the blessings. But they don't want to be the one on the cross, bearing it, carrying it every day. They don't want to do it with a smile. They want to do it moping and groping. Look at me. I can't have this and I can't have that. Nobody wants to come to the kingdom looking at you. That's why they don't. I tell you to sit down and you look at me. Doesn't the kingdom look amazing? Doesn't God look amazing? Does anybody see how God loves me? Isn't he amazing? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he righteous? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he mighty? Isn't he strong? I exalt the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I lift his name on high. I give glory to his name. I adore him and extol who he is. Ain't nobody came to see you, Ricky Bobby. With your down in the mully grubs, every day is a struggle. Every day I'm getting spanked. Every day I'm getting beat up because I can't live right because I want my own will and not God's will. I'm struggling with witchcraft. Ain't nobody came to see you. Sit down. Oh, you can sit down for real. Uh, is that figurative? Oh, you, okay, sit down for real. Yeah, both. Two things. You have no reverence for the kingdom of God. And a eunuch has more reverence for the kingdom of God than you with all of your good deeds and good Christian behavior. He has more of the spirit of God for salvation than the person raised in the church. The eunuch understood the gift of God. So I can just be baptized? Yeah. 
I mean, if you really believe that he's the Christ. Oh, no, the one you told me, that's the Christ. And from what I read, oh, that's the Christ. That's it. I don't know why everybody don't see. This is really him. He is the one. Oh, my goodness. That was him. You knew him? Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yes, my whole heart, I believe. I can be in it. I can be in. You can be in. Me. You know my situation. You can be in. I can be in. You can be in. He's going to talk to me, too. You, too. Like, I'm part of Israel, kind of, like, that close. Like, we are, like I'm picked by him. Picked by him. Not like it's just, like, outside, but, like, <laughs> you can be as close to him as you want to be. Baptize me right now. Here's, here's a body of water. Baptize me right now. I, I, want, I want to know what that is. I, I want to be in that. That's the only thing I want. I got wealth. I got influence. I got everything else. This, this, this. This is the kingdom. This is the one I've been looking for. This is the one that is about life. That's what I want. I want in. So he gets baptized, right? Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, go back to that and we're going home. Go back to the Samaritan woman in John. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman what the gift of God is like. Go to John chapter 13. I mean, chapter 4, verse 13. John chapter 4, verse 13. When you're there, say amen. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him uh, will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. He's equating the gift of God to living water. He's saying, woman, if you knew who you were talking to and the gift of God, you'd be asking me for water because the water that I have will not just satisfy your thirst currently, but it will be something like a fountain always springing up anytime you are thirsty. Can you see that in light of the kingdom now? Look, you've heard this 50 million times, but it just now hitting. I want to give you something. I want to give you something. I don't want to play fair today. I want to give you something that will spring up on the inside every time you're thirsty, every time you're in need, every time you feel like you don't have, every time you feel like the gift is not yours, every time you don't feel like you're blessed. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to include you in a land. Come on, somebody. Where you know that you are full. Don't worry about the blessings, baby. It's the gift for me. I'm going to put you into a place where even if you ain't blessed, you got a gift. Even if you ain't blessed, you got living water. Even if you ain't blessed. You may not be blessed with that car. Oh, but you got this gift in your hand. I got a gift. He said, the gift of God is like water springing up. Now, now when he said this, she ran to go get the other people and tell them 
I think I found the Christ. But proof that she had received the kingdom is obvious because she left her water pot. You came here for water. Come on, somebody. You want the kind of water where you don't have to come here no more. But now you just ain't even thirsty. You don't even need this water pot because now you've got the kingdom and that's all you ever wanted. She didn't even take the water pot. Earlier, it was about the blessings of water. Give me the kind of water so I don't have to come here no more. Give me the external blessings. But when she received the kingdom, it's the gift for me. Forget this water. I'll get water later. Anybody, do you recognize I met the Messiah? Do you recognize I met the king of the world, baby? The king of the world. The king of the world accepted me into his kingdom. Not the king of the nation. The king of the world accepted me into his everlasting kingdom. You need some water? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I I need to go tell other people. You need some water? No, I'm good. I'm good. I need to tell other people. You need to get married? No, I'm good. I need to tell other people. You need some kids? No, I'm good. I need to tell other people. You need a car? No, I'm good. I need to tell other people. You need a relationship? No, I'm good. I need to tell other people. The gift of the kingdom changes how you look at your needs. It gets you off the circle of chasing necessities. And if you ever feel thirst, it's something in you that will satisfy. And you ain't got to go to no well. You ain't got to go to no mountain. You ain't got to wreck your own high place. You ain't got to build your own idol. You ain't got to shape your own destiny. There's something on the inside of you always springing and always satisfying. I'm preaching, baby. Y'all acting today. Come on, standing all over the house. 